Hey, Forge family. Last week, we were in the middle of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. In those verses, Paul wrote about knowing the fear of the Lord. Within the context, we look back to the judgment seat of Christ in the immediately preceding verses. Yes, there will be awe, wonder, amazement, and fear, but not terror. For we will stand before him to have revealed what the Holy Spirit drew out of us in our walk of faith and practice. Next, Paul wrote of the charge against him that he was crazy, to which his response was, If I'm crazy, it is for God. If I'm in my right mind, it is for you. Paul wrote that the love of Christ hems us in, controls us, focuses us. And that focus is that Christ died for all. And all of us who trusted in Christ were with him in his death and resurrection. Our sins were removed, nailed to the cross, and we are now alive in him. Because of that new life in Christ, we no longer look at men and women after the ways of the flesh. We look at them to see if they're followers of Christ or if they have turned away. If we are in Christ, we have dropped the old stuff, the old ways, and we have been supernaturally made as new creations. All things have been made new. This passage of verse 11 to verse 17 was breathed out by Holy Spirit to get us ready for the next passage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this day, this moment, to give thanks for your faithfulness to us. You, Lord, Holy Spirit, and Father God are so good to us. Your choice to lay down your life for us has had deep impact on us, changed us forever. And now we present ourselves as your servants. Oh, Father, as your sons and daughters, we want to begin afresh to display your love and the ministry of reconciliation. What a blessed assignment. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. So open up your 2 Corinthians text to chapter 5, verse 18. Paul summarizes his teaching on the New Covenant ministry up to this verse, setting the stage to impart a ministry platform to the Corinthians and to us. Verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God. So let's pause right there. What are all those things? Well, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 14, and roll forward I mean, this is cliff notes, okay? This is a fast overview of all these things in the New Covenant ministry that have come from God. So, always walking in triumph in Christ, being a sweet aroma of Christ to those who have chosen and will choose him as Savior, being an odor of death unto death to those who would turn away, being sincere, without wax, pure, not peddling the word of God. Having Christ right on our hearts by Holy Spirit. Knowing that we have been made adequate for all things in Christ. Walking in the life of the Spirit and not in the death of the law of Moses. Being infused with great boldness of speech because of our great hope. Having had any veils removed by Christ. Experiencing the liberty of the Spirit of God. We are being transformed into the image of the Lord. We do not lose heart. We, we display the truth to every man's conscience. We do not preach ourselves, 
but Christ Jesus as Lord. We have been given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We have a treasure held in earthen vessels. That, that's our physical body. Okay? That the power of God may be seen. We are squeezed, but not squashed. We are bewildered, but not befuddled. We are hunted down, but not abandoned. We are knocked down, but not knocked out. We always carry about the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus can be seen openly. Death works in us, but life in those to whom we minister. We have the same spirit of faith as Paul and King David. So we speak out. We know we will be raised up to be with Jesus and be presented to the Father. We do not lose heart, for our inner man or woman is being renewed each day. We experience light afflictions so that, with, uh, so that a tonnage weight of glory will be poured over to the Father. We look at those things that cannot be seen rather than what can be seen in the natural. We know that when our earthly tent, and that's our body as well, our, when our earthly tent drops in the dust, we will be clothed for eternity and for heaven. We are of good courage. We know that the Father gave Holy Spirit to us as a pledge that he will keep his promises. We walk by faith, not by sight. Our ambition is to always be pleasing to the Lord. We look expectantly to the judgment seat of Christ where our lives will be examined. We know the fear of the Lord. And with that in mind, we set out to persuade men. If we act crazy in the eyes of the Lord, it is for God's sake. We died with Christ and have been raised with Christ to a new life in him. We no longer look at men and women in the natural, but in the supernatural. Our old ways have been dropped, and we are new creations in Christ. So those are the things that, that Paul said, you know, um, <clears throat> now all these things are from God. So that's, that's a summary of, of the New Covenant ministry teaching right up to today. The, pa the passage then continues, who, co who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, all these things have laid the framework for a ministry of reconciliation. Now, again, to reconcile is to bring back disaffected, broken relationships to a face-to-face -face meeting in peace. I've used this illustration before, but here we go again. Take your hands, put your palms together in front of your face. Let your left hand represent God the Father, and your right hand represents mankind. In the Garden of Eden, God met man face to face. That was with Adam and Eve. They would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. There was fellowship there. There was love and honor and union. And then, at some point, Eve was deceived by the serpent. But Adam rebelled against God, desiring to be like God, and ate the fruit that the Lord said was never to be eaten. The result was man sinned and turned away from God. Your right hand turns it back, you know, turn it back, uh, uh, you know, your right hand turns its back on the left hand and moves away. God, not able to look on sin, not able to relate to sin, turns away from mankind. Your left hand turns its back too. The difference was that God did not move away. 
He did not abandon mankind. He kept pursuing mankind. He had already set in motion before time and creation order an agreement, a covenant with the Son, Jesus, that Jesus would be the Redeemer to pay the price of sin and allow God to turn back to face mankind, calling out to them to repent and come home. Now, turn your left hand back to face the darkened, alienated, sin-rattled right hand that it represents mankind. What God longs for it is to be reconciled to mankind by the blood of Jesus so that we all can turn back to face to face with him. When we call on Christ as Savior and Lord, we turn back to face God and are restored to fellowship, love, honor, and union. Our own sin was not a matter of misunderstanding that could be easily corrected, but rather a rebellion that was incessant. We, too, needed the blood of Jesus to make a way back, to back to face-to-face -face with God. Paul uses the word reconcile nine times in his epistles. It's a big deal to him and to the Father. God does God did not need to be reconciled. We did. We have been cleansed of sin and restored to a face-to-face -face relationship with God. But that is not all. The rest of the verse says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That service to God, that ministry to mankind, is where we demonstrate being made face-to-face -face with God and how good he is. It is also where we use great boldness of speech wrapped in God's peace to explain that God wants people back face to face and he's already made way. As Sean Foyt said in Sacramento, maybe two, three weeks ago, uh, he said to, to 12,000 people spread out in front of him here in California, there are not five ways to be saved. There are not four ways to be saved. There's not three ways to be saved. There are not two ways to be saved. It may sound politically incorrect, but there's only one way to be saved. It is through receiving the finished work of Jesus on the cross on behalf of yourself. Each person has to make that choice. Repenting for your sins and inviting Jesus to come into your heart. Our ministry of reconciliation is inviting friends and enemies, employees and employers, mailmen and UPS drivers, bank tellers and babysitters, classmates and teachers, relatives and strangers, all of our contacts. As the Lord leads, the key phrase, absolutely key phrase, as the Lord leads. This isn't up to you. This isn't about you. He leads you. Okay, into those open conversations so that that those folks that you contact have contact with and have conversation with, they become ready to ask Jesus to come into their hearts and lives. This is not a ministry that bulldozes people into a choice of, of receiving Jesus or rejecting him. It is a tender, fearless, loving, prayer-filled, deeply concerned outreach for those to whom God has opened a way to speak to them of the light of the good news of God shining in the face of Jesus. Or the Lord may spontaneously stand you to your feet to speak with great boldness to utter strangers with his words 
love and compassion in your mouth so that the lost may hear and be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment by Holy Spirit. Then they can confess their sin. Now, that just simply means that they agree with God, that they had sinned against him and others, and they need Jesus' sacrifice for them. See, then they can flood to Jesus. Verse 19 says that this ministry of reconciliation is, quote, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So reconciliation is all about what God has already done. The great good news is that God is not angry with mankind over their sin any longer. He's not holding their trespasses. Their choices made to sin intentionally, he's not holding that against them any longer. What Jesus did on the cross for each individual stands to their credit and awaits their choice to trust and believe in him or not. We have been given an astoundingly powerful word, a message of great good news. That message is not, catch this, that message is not to call people to make peace with God. God has already made peace available to mankind in Christ. Our ways and words are empowered by Holy Spirit in opportunities that God lays before us to announce that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is to say, they will be saved. The quote word, unquote, that he has, that we have been given is imbued with, is flooded with his power, his purity, and his love. That quote word, unquote, is not about us. It's about him. He overrides our limitations and makes us limitless. He addresses our fears and makes us fearless with this word. We wear it in joyful, proud appearances. Right there it says, fearless, limitless. Mark it, you know, mark it on your t-shirts. Wear that around. Verse 20 gives us the results of that word. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ. As though God was entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you sense the loving urgency and passion of Paul speaking God's invitation? Further, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We drive around the Bay Area, and if you look frequently, you'll see cars with license plates that say, Consular Service. These are members of an ambassador's staff or that of the country's consular offices in San Francisco, Oakland, or San Jose. Living around us are ambassadors from other countries. In Paul's day, an ambassador was a fully vested individual that not only represented Rome or Greece or Scythia, but who was charged to enforce that nation's policies and values. These were immensely powerful individuals whose lives were to mirror that of their nation. They were charged to never, for any reason, embarrass their nation or cut corners on their orders. When they spoke and acted, it was as if Caesar's voice and power to act came out of their mouths, or that of the king of Persia, or the king of Namibia, etc. 
when Paul set that mantle of ambassador on the Corinthians and on us. It is in recognition that all those things we listed as integral to the new covenant ministry are in place already and by faith. And we are to be the living representatives of the government of the king, of the kingdom of God, filled with his power and his love for mankind. Paul continues to write that being such an ambassador is to act and speak as if God himself was entreating, calling out with urgency through us. And what we say and do is, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, Paul wrote it in an imperative, an order, a command. Receive the reconciliation that God is offering. So in 21st century English, we might say, accept in your heart and life the way back to God that he has already made in his offering to you. How do lost people do that? Well, they agree with God that their sin made them unacceptable to him, and they agree that Jesus wiped that sin away forever. They repent. That means to turn around. They're no longer pursuing darkness and their own desires, but they turn and they pursue light and, and begin to walk in the ways of Christ and drop their old ways behind. And they invite Jesus into their hearts. They bow before God, humble themselves before him and say, thank you, God, for your love. Holy Spirit is waiting now to come alongside each one to help them as they learn to walk in kingdom ways. They say, come in, Holy Spirit. Now, if you can, you place yourself alongside of those people to be an ambassador of heaven. You get to say, quote, now you're my brother. Now you're my sister in Christ. Welcome to the family of God in Christ by Holy Spirit. And then you both rejoice. Verse 21 is a further explanation of why and how God acted through Christ to make us the very righteousness of God. Quote, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Unquote. Paul Flatt says, Jesus had no experience or first-hand knowledge of sin. Now, he wasn't blind. He could see it, but he knew its consequences. He could hear it, but he never participated. Throughout his life, from birth to the cross, Jesus made that claim for himself in John 8, and then it repeated in Hebrews, in 1 Peter, and 1 John. Christ was and is a moral miracle. And he lived that out in his humanity on our behalf. See, he could not be the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world if he was a sinner. 99 and 44, 100% holiness is not holy. It means it's been polluted. And if that was the case with Jesus, he did not qualify to be the Lamb of God. And because of his purity, he could step in as mankind's proxy to take on himself by his choice all the sin and alienation of all mankind. He never sinned, but he took on himself all of our sin as a cosmic burden and bore it to the cross. In so doing, 
God made him to be sin on our behalf. That is a mystery and wonder and an awesome sacrifice for us. God himself had said multiple times in the Old Testament that he rejected, he had no love for the offerings of bulls and goats. Now, do you know what that meant? Sin offerings in Israel had to be made by one who perceived themselves as having been become a sinner, out of, totally out of compliance with God. They knew they were sinners. That meant they had to make an offering of a bull or a goat so that individuals could temporarily have their sins covered before God. Whether as individuals or as the nation of Israel, blood had to be spilled, life had to be substituted, and then God could relate to that individual and to the nation. It was temporary. Because only the Lamb of God, sacrificed once and for all, accomplished the eternal removal of sin. The amazing outcome of that sin offering, voluntarily offered by Christ himself, made a way for the removal of all sin for all time, and replaced that sin with the very righteousness of God in our, the hearts and lives of those who repent and believe in Jesus as the Christ. My first year and a half as a junior transfer to Cal Berkeley was largely spent trying to fit in. I went to four, I remember four anyway, four different Christian groups on and around the campus. And every time I walked out, I went, boy, that does not feel like home. I just can't see myself there. And so I ended up spending a lot of time with those who were away from Christ yeah, I had accepted Jesus into my life, but I knew nothing of the power of Holy Spirit to come alongside of me. My personal slippery slope dumped me in a heap on a beach in Mexico for Christmas vacation of my senior year. Nothing had worked in my life. Not relationships, not academics, not any sense of peace with God. I was a hot mess. My expectations of a surfing break from school collapsed, but an on offshore Low-pressure system flattened every wave to a four-inch little slough of water on the beach. One night, I had a long walk and a long confession period with the Lord. I was done trying to run my own life and repented of all that drach from life at Berkeley. He received me back, but not without the testing. Testing so as to approve of my faith. I spent a week in the hospital with a global case of poison oak. I mean, I had, you know, my ears were the size of oranges. My eyes were closed. I, I thought I was going to scratch myself to death. Then they, they put me in a hammock with, with barely a diaper on, barely anything to cover my parts, over a large pan. And they would come in regularly with a... a, a freezing cold desiccating solution that they poured over my body to begin to dry out the the secretions of the of the poison oak and i would shake and shiver and my teeth would chatter and the itch would stop maybe for 20 minutes and then i received my grades from the previous quarter and that shifted my major from pre-med to marine biology and then came the crash of expectations that I would be admitted to grad school in that science. That period lasted three months, and it was hard. 
About the time of Easter break, I renewed a relationship on campus with an Olympic steeplechase runner. His name was Bob. You know what steeplechase is? It's sort of like running two miles. You know, something like 3,000 meters, something like that. But every 400 yards or something, you had to go over a hurdle and land in a water pit, in a trap, and then scramble yourself out of the water, run another 400 yards, go over another hurdle, into the water, on and on. Bob was an amazing athlete. He gently welcomed me back to the family of God with his shiny self, his walk with God, and he imparted hope that God had a plan for my life that was in process. I never turned back. I dropped the old stuff. I learned to steer around it when it came calling again and went hard after Jesus, putting on the new creation that I was. I'm so grateful today for God's forgiveness and grace to go forward. That puts in my mouth and my heart the message of reconciliation for others. I've been there, done that, and it worked for me. Now, Forge family, go for the face-to-face -face with God every day. Proclaim the face-to-face -face with God every day in word and deed and practice. So you walk around with your peace. Thank Holy Spirit for his training and shaping that he's doing to bring forth transformation in Christ and a destiny in you. Ask Holy Spirit for God appointments with others. Appointments that have been made from eternity past so that you can be the one who introduces God's love to the lost. Now, you may be the first one they've ever heard and they're ready. Or you may be the tenth one who's come to them and said, here's God's heart for you. And by the tenth time, then they're ready. Remember, we don't cut notches in our gospel gun. We just let to get to let God work through us. We just show up. There's no such thing as spiritual scalps. This reconciliation of the lost back to God is a God thing, not our thing. We get the high privilege of being ambassadors that carry a potent word that is life-changing, eternity-changing for the sake of those who come to Christ and for the enhanced glory of God. Put on the offered mantle of ambassador and prepare for God to open doors. For some of us, those doors will be into barrios of the poorest of the poor, whether in West Oakland, Compton, or Jakarta, for some, they'll be the self-satisfied lost, whether in San Mateo County or in Paris. Some of the, And for some, it will be an outreach to the wealthy and powerful of Silicon Valley or Mumbai. None of whom know the grace of God. We wear that mantle and proclaim that word so that a vast multitude will be divinely confronted by the claims of Christ and that most of that multitude will bow before the Father and become reconciled to him. Let's pray. Lord God, for global villages and vast cities that teem with lost humanity, we step forward to be mantled as ambassadors who've been given the potent word of reconciliation. Some of that is scary. We do not know what we will say or do, but you do. And already, resources of heaven have been dispatched for our baby steps of faith to walk in the new covenant and display 
your very presence. Thank you for making a way where there seems to be no way. We ask for faith that all of Forge family and all who hear these words by podcast will receive impartation from Holy Spirit to begin to walk as ambassadors into divine appointments. Thank you, Lord, for your great love and power poured into us to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, I love you. We'll see you soon.